So uh, we are studying uh, the book of Jonah together. And uh, we've, we're, we've been a couple weeks into this now. We did an introduction week, and then last week we looked at chapter one. And, uh, and, and we're studying this book together, and kind of amazingly, we decided to study this book together way back in August. And now, looking at these times we're in, I don't know that we could have picked a better book of the Bible to be looking at, right? Uh, strange but challenging times. Um, and so, uh, so not only are we studying Jonah together, but let's go to the next slide if we could, Clay. Uh, Jonah's kind of a unique book among all the prophets. This is one of the prophetic books uh, in the Old Testament. They start um, with Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, go through that whole list all the way up to the end of the Old Testament. Uh, but among those books, Jonah's kind of a unique one because while all the other prophetic books are the words of the prophet, in other words, the prophet speaking God's word to people, sharing what God wants them to do with people, um, the, Jonah's unique because it's the story about a prophet and a pretty interesting prophet at that. Um, now, not only is Jonah unique for that reason, but let's go to the next slide if we could. Uh, it's, it's, it's about real events. So when I say it's the story about Jonah, I don't mean like a fairy tale or a legend. It's real events. This, what we're talking about today really happened. Uh, and it happened somewhere right around 750 B.C., so about 750 years before Jesus comes is when this story happens. And it happens at a place, at least a, a big focus of the story is a place called Nineveh. So the next slide, Nineveh uh, was established, we know, in about 6,000 B.C. By th 1300 B.C., it had become a, a key Assyrian city. And if you're going, wait a minute, 6,000, you went down to 13. Remember, we're B.C. It gets less, right? I wish I aged like that, the B.C., you know. But, uh, but yeah, so by about 1300 B.C., this becomes a key Assyrian city. Um, and, and by the way, after these events, um, from 750 to about 650 uh, B.C., Nineveh just keeps growing and gaining in prominence until by 650 B.C., it's the biggest city in the world. So that should kind of tip you off about where this story is going. You know, because as V said before, God calls Jonah to go to the people of Nineveh and tell them that, that they're going to be destroyed if they don't change their lives. If they don't turn around, God is going to punish them. And, uh, and obviously, we kind of know how that story turns out, right? Because 100 years later, it's the largest city in the world. We'll talk about that more in the weeks to come. Um, but here's what you need to know about the Assyrians. Why would God have this message for them that he's going to destroy them, that he's going to punish them? Well, the Assyrians were a very warlike culture. Fighting was a way of life. Slavery was central to their culture and their economy. They were polytheists. They had many, many different gods that they worshipped. Um, and uh, child sacrifice was a key part of their worship. Think about that. We do everything we can to make sure we have special programming for children and that children are, are well cared for. But but not the Assyrians. Child sacrifice and temple prostitution was at the center of their worship experience. Now, I love this quote. Well, I don't love this quote, but this is an interesting quote. It's an informative quote. One historian says this. He says, while historians tend to shy away from analogies, it is tempting to see the Assyrian Empire, which dominated the Middle East from 900 to 612 BC, as a historical forebear of Nazi Germany. So, so when you think about the Assyrians that way, that they were kind of like the Nazi Germany of their day, you can see why God was concerned and God wanted to do something and God needed to do something about the Assyrians. So he sends Jonah 
Um, by the way, the structure of the book of Jonah is really kind of interesting if you haven't noticed this. The first and the third chapters are stories. It's the story of Jonah and the sailors. We looked at that last week. Uh, the story of this, this uh, tumult at sea. And V, I loved how you said it, that Jonah's in the hold practically sleeping through the whole thing, right? Um, and then finally, the sailors figure out who Jonah is uh, and that he's the problem. And at first, remember what the sailors did? At first, they tried to save him. And they did something foolish. They tried to row towards the shore, which is the dumbest thing in the world to do in the middle of a storm. But, but they tried to save him, but that didn't work. So finally, they threw him overboard, right? Um, and in chapter 3, next week, we're going to take a look at the story of Jonah and the Ninevites. What, what happens when Jonah does go uh, to Nineveh and does tell them that God is not happy with them and how they're living. We're going to look at that next week. But in between those, we have these two uh, prayers from Jonah. And we're going to be looking this week, uh, yeah, we're going to be looking this week at that first prayer that Jonah prays um, after he's been thrown into the sea by the sailors and before he heads uh, to Nineveh. And then, by the way, chapter four is a second prayer. And that's going to be an interesting prayer because in that prayer, Jonah is mad at God. He's not happy with God at all. So that's going to be kind of interesting. But so, so the story so far, uh, V did a great job kind of summarizing it for you before, so I'm not going to do that again. Uh, but, but, but just know that we're told that the reason Jonah fled, the reason Jonah went the exact opposite way from Nineveh, where God sent him, the reason he went down and got into this boat and headed off for this place called Tarshish is because the Bible tells us he wanted to get away from the Lord. Last week we looked about that. We looked at that a little bit. Can you ever really get away from the Lord? Of course not. But that's what he wanted to do. And, uh, and then, as I said, we heard uh, right up to this point of the story, the last thing that happened uh, before we're diving in uh, to chapter 2 is Jonah gets thrown overboard by the sailors. And actually, the beginning of Jonah's prayer describes from Jonah's standpoint what that felt like. Let's take a look at this. Jonah says this. He says, when I was in danger, he's been thrown overboard. He said, I called to, oh no, wait, let's go back. This is too far. Oh no, I guess it isn't. Let's go forward. Yep, no, this is it. Yeah, there we go. Okay, good. Sorry. This is how Jonah describes it. He says, the waters of the sea clothed, closed around my throat. The deep sea was all around me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. When I went down to where the mountains of the sea start to rise, in other words, the base of the islands, he's, he's on the sea bottom. He says, I thought I was locked in this prison forever. What's happening to him? He's drowning. He's dying. In fact, there are some theologians that say that at this moment, Jonah actually did die. And, and he was dead, he was drowned, he was done. But God brought him back. So what did God do as he found Jonah in this horrible position? Um, well, uh, it tells us right at the beginning of this chapter, Jonah says, you saved me from the pit of death, my Lord. Now, how did God save him? God sent a lifeguard who pulled him out and gave him mouth to mouth and resuscitated him and uh, got him back healthy, right? Well, kind of, but not the lifeguard you're expecting, right? Look at what it says. Um, it, by the way, interestingly enough, in our English Bibles, this is Jonah 1.17, it's the last verse of the first chapter, but in the old Hebrew Bibles, the original Bibles, and uh, in the old Greek version of this story, in both of those, it's actually the first verse of chapter 2. 
which is kind of interesting. You'll see why in a minute. But, but so, so either uh, 117 or 2.1, uh, it says what God did to rescue us is then God caused a big fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. So the way that God uh, rescues Jonah is incredibly unusual. God does this amazing thing. Now, now by the way, people being swallowed by fish is not unusual. It happens. It's rare, but it happens. I was reading a story this week, 1987. Um, a Japanese fisherman was in a small fishing boat in the Sea of Japan, and um, one of his buddies did something on the boat that caused the boat to jerk a little bit, and he wasn't balanced, and he fell right over the side of the boat, and the boat kept going. And, uh, and he was in trouble. And then he really was in trouble because he looked up, and what he saw was an over 20-foot-long great white shark coming straight for him. And here's where the story gets weird. Uh, his name was Mikado Kanazawa, and, uh, and they actually were interviewing him in his hospital bed. So you can hear something strange happened here, right? What happened was this huge great white shark went to eat him and actually just slurped him up all in one gulp. And he was literally inside the belly of this fish. Uh, now, he, he said all of a sudden everything went dark and he couldn't see and he didn't know whether he had his eyes open or closed. He thought he was going to die and all of a sudden he was like, well, is, am I dead? And, and, uh, and he couldn't quite figure out what was going on. And then all of a sudden he, he said he felt this incredible rumbling and the fish just spit him right back out. Right by the boat, by the way, where um, the other fishermen were able to grab him. Now, they estimate he was actually, and by the way, um, he was, this whole thing was just, he was in such shock. He didn't even feel, he had, the, the back, his back was all shredded from the teeth going in and out, you know, both ways. Uh, the shark, and, and he was in the hospital kind of telling this story. But, uh, but, but, but literally, they, they figure he might have been in the belly of that fish for 20 seconds, okay? We're told Jonah was in there three days. So obviously, this isn't just a normal occurrence going on. God did something miraculous here, didn't he? God did something amazing here to rescue Jonah. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Why would God do that? I mean, why would God try to rescue Jonah? He's, Jonah's his prophet, and he comes to his prophet and he says to his prophet, I want you to arise, go, and go to Nineveh. And by the way, everywhere else in the Old Testament where God says to somebody, arise, go, guess what they do? They go. But Jonah doesn't. Now, at this point, you might think God would go, okay, Jonah, you got yourself in this mess. You're going to have to suffer the consequences. But God doesn't. God does this incredible, this miraculous thing. He sends this fish, and, and then we're told at the very end of the chapter, so, so by the way, the way the old Hebrew is, the first verse and the last verse of chapter 2 are God doing something. And, uh, and what God does at the end of this chapter is it says, the Lord spoke to the fish, and the fish threw up Jonah out onto the dry land. Now, that's a picture I would love to have seen, right? I don't know, I, um, like V said before, maybe a whale. That's probably the best uh, thought. Um, this whale swims up to the shore, opens his mouth, and goes, <clears throat> kind of like that shark in the Sea of Japan with uh, Mikado Kanazama, just throws Jonah up on the shore. Now, the rest of this chapter is Jonah's reaction to that. Let's take a look at what he says. He's talking to God, and he says, God, I will praise and thank you while I give sacrifices to you. 
And he says, I will keep my promises to you, Lord. He's so overwhelmed, he says this. He says, salvation comes from the Lord. He says, God, you have saved me. Now, by the way, we'll see if Jonah still holds to this promise a little later. But right now, in this moment, he's overcome with what God has done for him. Um, I love this verse from Ephesians. I got it now, Clay. Yeah, we'll see how long it lasts. But uh, I, I love this verse from Ephesians uh, chapter 2. Uh, it describes exactly what Jonah experienced, and honestly, it describes what you and I have experienced as well. It says this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Folks, we're all dead in our sins and trespasses, God says. The Bible's pretty clear. The standard is be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect, Jesus said. Paul wrote, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all drowning in one way or another. We're drowning in sin. We're drowning in our own mistakes. We're drowning in a world that can do crazy things like viral outbreaks. We're all drowning in one way or another, and God has done something about that. Only um, instead of sending a fish for you and me, he sent something better. He sent his son. In uh, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is talking with some of the religious leaders. And, uh, and they say to him, they say, teacher, we want a sign from you. We want you to do something to prove to us that, that you are who you say you are. And this is what Jesus says. He says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. In other words, he says, you could just trust me, but you won't. He says, so I'm not going to give you a sign other and then he talks about a pretty powerful sign. He says, except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. And then Jesus says this, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In other words, Jesus says that three days and three nights thing with Jonah, where Jonah was miraculously rescued by God, he said, I'm here to do that for you. But I'm going to do it with my own life, not yours. Jesus connects his death and then his resurrection from the dead to the rescue that God brought to Jonah. So, so God sent Jonah a whale. He sent you and me his son. He sent you and me Jesus. So what does that sign of Jonah mean for us? What does it mean that Jesus came for you and me? What does it mean for us that he paid the price for our sins on the cross? What does it mean for us that he rose again from the dead? Well, first of all, it means that even though we may feel like we're drowning, we're not because of Jesus. Do you feel overwhelmed sometimes? I know I do, especially this last week, where it seems like every day the news got worse and worse and worse. Betty and I uh, went to church together on Wednesday night, and then uh, we went out to Buffalo Wild Wings. We hadn't had, had dinner yet. And we're, and we're sitting there and, uh, you know, watching some sports, and, and, and all of a sudden I see, oh, there's a, a game's been canceled at the last minute in the NBA. And all of a sudden I see, oh, the NBA's canceling all their games. And all of a sudden, I mean, it's just like one, and I was just like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. 
And then the next day, every news alert that would come up on my phone, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Oh my gosh, they're doing that. Oh my gosh. You feel like you're drowning pretty easily. But we're not. Folks, uh, Clay, can you go to that next slide for me? Um, the, the, the good news is that, that even in the midst of a, a pandemic, like nothing we've ever seen before in, in our lives, we know that nothing, even death itself, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's God's promise. There is no social distancing from our Savior. He's right there by our side. He's conquered everything for us. I mean, if he can send a fish to swallow Jonah, I can't wait to see what he's going to do in your life and mine, right? I'd prefer not the fish. God's got a plan in all this, folks. God is at work in all this. And, and we're going to do our best as individuals and as families. We're going to do our best in, in, where we work, and we're going to do our best as a church family uh, to try to figure out how to responsibly negotiate through these next weeks. But the reality is, God's working overtime. And, uh, and, and we have the chance to be a source of hope to the world around us. We have the chance uh, to show people that that God is not asleep at the wheel, but he is in control. We have a chance um, in these kind of difficult times to point people to the kind of God that would send a prophet to save an evil nation in Nineveh. We're going to talk about that next week. A God that would send a fish to rescue a prophet who is trying to run away from him. And God would send Jesus for you and for me. Isn't that amazing? Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, <laughs> think about that song that says, uh, I need you, Lord, I need you. I'm sure we're all feeling that way uh, at some point these days, Lord. Um, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of fear. Uh, there's a lot of unknowns. Uh, Lord, we're worried about a virus, but maybe even more than that, we're worried about the economic implications of everything we're doing to avoid that virus. Some of us might be worried about the health of somebody we care about deeply. Maybe that's an older parent or, or friend. Um, some of us might be worried about our job. Some of us might be worried about making our next mortgage payment. Some of us might be worried about uh, just the unknown and not, and not knowing where all this is going to go. Um, Lord, send us a strong message this morning that just like you didn't forsake Jonah, you're not going to forsake us. When it, when it feels like we are at the moment of despair like Jonah did, you're going to swoop in out of nowhere and you're going to show us uh, that just as you sent Jesus to conquer sin and death for us, you're not going to leave us alone. You're going to be with us. Uh, Lord, thank you uh, for that gift. In Jesus' name, amen.